Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Started a brand new sermon series. If you're catching us for the first time, you've picked the perfect Sunday to begin with Two Cities Church because we're beginning at the beginning today. We're going to start studying through the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, and today is Sermon 1. So today we're at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Today we're going to talk about worldview. Now, if you're unfamiliar with that term, I'm going to use it a lot, so don't worry. I'm going to explain it to you today. But in order to help set this up, let me just ask you, how many of you made some New Year's resolutions? How many of you have already broken your New Year's resolutions? And the rest of you in here are like me. Why bother? Because I'm just not going to keep them anyway. So I'm just not going to go through the, the nightmare of starting one just to blow it a week or two weeks later. Well, I've got a challenge for you. And this is not a New Year's resolution. It's actually a challenge for you to keep in mind throughout 2023. It's a challenge for you to examine your worldview. When we talk about the world worldview, the word worldview, that's going to be hard to say today. I want you to keep something in mind about this word. Worldviews are cheap. They're free, actually. Your worldview is free. But... It will, not it can, not it might. It will cost you everything. And I'll try to prove this to you. Worldviews are kind of like a set of lenses. Everybody has these lenses on. Everybody looks through the world at these lenses. The prescription might change over time, but you never ever take the lens off. You're always seeing the world through those lenses. That's why we call it a worldview. Problem is, most people have really never thought about their worldview. One of the most brilliant Christian minds of the last century was a Swiss theologian and philosopher by the name of Francis Schaeffer. And Schaeffer talked about worldviews, and he said this, most of us kind of inherit our worldview. To quote him, he said that we catch our worldview from our parents and from our society a lot like a child catches the measles. We don't even know that we're catching it. But then Schaeffer said, few very wise people stop to examine their worldview and ask the question, does, what I view the, does the way that I view the world line up with the truth that I see? Most of us just put on these glasses when we were a child. Our parents' society influenced the way that we saw the world, but very few people have actually stopped to think, is the way that I view the world and reality and truth. Do those two things line up? And today what I want you to understand is just how powerful and just how important worldviews are. And I said in this one statement that it will cost you everything because the truth is all that you believe about the world is influenced by your worldview. You always, always, always practice your worldview. You always behave your worldview. You may say one thing and do another, but deep on the deepest parts of your heart, what you really believe about the world around you is how you act. 
And today, the verse that we're going to look at, we're only going to look at one verse of the Bible, but today, the verse that you look at will fundamentally influence, listen to this, how you see yourself, how you see the world, how you see God, the meaning of life itself will be impacted by the way that you approach 10 words, one verse, the first sentence of the Bible. Everything else flows out of there. And um, I'm, here's the deal. I'm just going to shamelessly try to influence your worldview today. Maybe you already have a solid biblical worldview. If that's the case, I'm going to try to con uh, confirm it for you. Maybe you're still struggling with the whole idea of faith and the Bible and a God that created the universe. If that's the case, I'm going to try to challenge you today. Maybe you have a broken worldview. And if that's the case, I'm going to try to confront you a little bit today. Because in the first sentence of the Bible, the Bible is really saying three foundational principles, three fundamental truths. There's many, many other truths that flow out of this. But the first truth that the Bible is saying is all about God. And it's saying that God is the cause of all things. He is the original reason why everything exists. In terms of movement, God moves and everything else after that in the universe gets its movement from God moving. This is the first verse of the Bible written by a guy by the name of Moses many centuries ago. And Moses starts the Bible with God moving in the universe. Here's how the Bible begins. First three words. In the beginning. Now, we're going to talk about the entire first verse of the Bible of today. And you're thinking to yourself, Jeff, we're going to spend 10 years in Genesis. Relax. We'll pick up speed as we go along. But these first couple of verses, actually the first couple of chapters are so important that I really think we got to slow down. We got to roll up our sleeves. We need to take a look around when we look at these first couple of verses. Don't blow through them. Did you notice that Moses, the Bible, never tries to convince you about God existing? From the very first words, and by the way, in the original Hebrew language, this is only six words in the first sentence of the Bible. From the very first words, the Bible just presumes that you're the kind of person that looks around the world and says, there's absolutely no way this was all by accident. There must be somebody out there who made all of this. And then the Bible starts by explaining to you how all of this was made. It never argues the existence of God. It just begins with any sane, any rational person already accepts something else must be out there. In fact, later on in the Bible, in the book of Psalms and Proverbs, it says this way, the fool has said in their heart, the truly ignorant person says in their heart, there is no God. For everybody else, they just look around and say, there's no way this was by accident. God sets out to create a universe that's going to honor him and that's going to bring him glory. And this verse shattered my worldview. In fact, I am a Christian today because of a conversation and actually one statement from one Christian couple many years ago that radically fundamentally altered my worldview and I had no way of handling what they said to me next. 
Let me explain to you how I became a Christian and how Jesus radically changed my worldview in one moment. When I was 13 years old, I grew up in a very, very pagan family, which means no one read the Bible, no one prayed, no one went to church, no one talked about Jesus. And I was getting in trouble, and I was in sin, and there was no one around me who could explain to me how to be rescued for my sins. What I'm telling you is I was about as lost as any 13-year-old on the planet can be at that age. And then my neighbors came by to talk to me. And they sat down at my dining room table one day. And this couple had been hanging out with me and having fun with me and inviting me over to their apartment and wanting to do stuff with me. And they had basically been treating me like a little brother for some weeks now. And one night, they came next door, and they said, Jeff, can we talk to you? Because something really important is on our mind, and we want to have a conversation with you. And I noticed from the time that they walked in that they were acting weird, and they seemed nervous to me. I was like, what's wrong with these two? They must have some bad news. And for the first time in my life, somebody loved me enough that they individually talked to me about Jesus, told me who he was and what he did for me. But at 13 years old, the product of a government education, I was thoroughly indoctrinated in science, and I knew everything the science textbooks said about the origin of the universe. So we sat down at my table, and they started to talk to me about Jesus, and I had questions, y'all. I had a lot of questions, and this couple graciously, patiently answered my questions. I asked them about dinosaurs. I asked them about the Big Bang. I asked them about the origin of the universe, and to their credit, sometimes they didn't have answers to those questions. They said, we don't even know the answer to this question, Jeff, and if you'll let us, we'll work with you to help you find the answer, but then I started getting into the Big Bang Theory, and I knew the science textbooks. So I knew this stuff cold, and I started asking them, what about the creation of, what about the beginning of the world? What about the universe? What about evolution? What about Big Bang? And then they started asking me questions. There was a butter dish on the dining room table, and I started asking them questions about the origin of the universe, and they were very patient, very gracious. I just need to say this. If you've been with our church for any amount of time, every year, We do a sermon series called Ask Me Anything, where you can literally ask any question you want, and we will work as hard as we can to give you an honest answer to an honest question. Because asking questions led to me becoming a believer. You see, I'm at the dining room table, and this couple said, we got a couple of questions for you, Jeff. This world around us, where did it all come from? I know the answer to this. It all came from the universe. Well, the universe, where did this come from? I know the answers to this question. The universe came from the Big Bang. The Big Bang, where did that come from? I know the answer to this one because I read it in a science textbook in high school. The Big Bang came from a super dense piece of matter that exploded and created everything in the universe. And then they said this, where did that matter come from? And I was like, "Uh uh-oh. That moment totally disrupted me. And then they used the butter dish. Special thanks to my daughter, Lydia, for letting me borrow her butter dish. They said, Jeff, basically what you're telling me is that there was nothing, and then there was something, 
And everything came from something which came out of nothing. They said, imagine that this butter dish is empty. There's absolutely nothing in it. And then you're telling me that next I lift the lid and there's something in that butter dish. Where did that something come from? Boom. Mind bomb. That just radically shattered my worldview. In theological terms, the Latin phrase for this is ex nihilo creation. Something coming out of nothing. And they said, basically, Jeff, we just want to ask you what happened before the beginning. Because you can tell us all the way back to the beginning, but you can't tell us what happened before the beginning. And in our worldview, we can tell you how something came out of nothing. We can tell you about the beginning before the beginning. And that was the moment that shattered everything that I believed about the origin of the universe. That was the moment that Jesus got a hold of my soul. When that couple loved me enough to sit down and graciously deal with my questions about the beginning. And I just want to challenge some of you out there. When I say in the beginning, many of you may struggle with the idea of evolution. You may struggle with creation. You may struggle with the origins of the universe. That's okay. What I'm trying to challenge you is the Bible is making this abundantly clear. Before the beginning, there was God. He caused it all, and everything that you see today finds its origin in him. And if it's not for him, we don't have a beginning. And you and I don't exist, nor does anything that we see around you. You see, here's my worldview warning for you today. If you're not careful, what we talk about today is going to be very theoretical, very theological, and totally irrelevant to you. I'm trying to argue for you. Look up here, church. You serve a God who is so big that he can handle creating the universe, which means he can certainly handle what you're about to face in 2023. And if you believe that, let me hear you say amen. Amen. God is big enough that he can cause it all to exist, and he can certainly handle what's going to happen to you this year if, say the word if out loud, if you stop being God long enough, to let him be God when the big bad things happen to you in 2023. In the beginning, God caused. In the beginning, God created. And the very next verse in the Bible just presumes that any rational person would look at what we see around us and say, I don't know if it all happened a few thousand years ago with the very words of God. I don't know if it's a few million years ago, but it cannot be a cosmic set of chance. It cannot be time and matter and some amino acids floating around in a primordial pool. There must be something that put all of this together. In the beginning, God created And God creates everything that you and I see around us. That James Webb Space Telescope that the entire world collaborated on, billions and billions of dollars went into, and we launched it to the farthest corners of the space. It's now looking farther into space than any human being has ever been able to see. And do you know what the James Webb Space Telescope is showing you? It's showing you the raw creative power of the God of the universe. Now, cosmologists, scientists are not going to read the results that come back from that telescope. 
But what, the, what that telescope, what the Bible is actually saying is there really was a creator, and he really did create everything. And my goal for you, my challenge for you, is to fundamentally look at your world through the lens of Genesis 1-1. When we first started our church, there wasn't a lot of money. The church wasn't able to pay a salary. I took a part-time job. I'm still teaching at a seminary in North Carolina. And the part-time job was designed to help pay the bills. And honestly, my goal is to pay our house off. So we're close. Dawn and I have been working really hard. We've been putting some extra money off to the side. And I hope, by God's grace, to be able to pay our house off this year in 2023. That's one of my financial goals. Do you know why I want to pay the house off so bad? Because when the house is paid off, that building, that property is mine. The bank can't tell me what to do anymore because the bank doesn't have any voice in my house. It's my house now, not the bank's house. Yeah, I still have a homeowner's association, and those Nazis can tell me what to do with the house, but it's my property, it's our house, and nobody else can tell us what to do. You following me? God is the creator of everything. God is the owner of everything. And unlike my house, I didn't build it. I didn't design the blueprints for it. God is the architect. God created the blueprints. God used his tools and his energy to create it all. God is the owner, the architect, the creator. He is the owner of everything. And because he's the owner, he gets a chance to decide how his stuff is supposed to be used. I don't get a chance to decide that. Moses doesn't decide it. You don't decide that. That's really what the Bible is trying to explain to us in Genesis chapter 1. If all that we see is God's, if he created everything that we see, then certainly he gets a chance to decide how everything that we see functions, what it's supposed to do. So here's my second worldview warning for you. When Moses wrote these words, he was setting out to write the law of God. The first five books of your Bible called the Pentateuch are the law of God. Isn't it interesting? The very first words that Moses uses to set up God's law is to say, God built it, God owns it, and God gets to decide how it runs. Not me, not Moses, not you. Which is really Moses' way of saying, you're not the center of the universe. God is. And because God is the center of the universe... God gets to decide how this universe is supposed to function. And those words are really difficult words for people outside our faith to hear. Because all they know is their day, getting up, brush your teeth, go to work, make money, do whatever you want to do, go to bed and do it again until you die. And for them, they have always been the center of the universe. Until somebody loves them enough to come and to say, wait a second, there is somebody else who's the center of your universe. And like we sang a moment ago, who loves you enough that he would be willing to leave heaven and come on a rescue mission to get you. That's the God who created everything. That's the God who created you. And because he creates you, he gets a chance to decide how things go. Now, the problem is people outside of the faith 
often give God credit for something that he doesn't deserve credit for. Yeah, he created the winds to blow. How many of you believe that? But sin created hurricanes. Stop blaming God for something that he didn't do. Stop giving God credit for something that we did. God is the one who created the waves that roll on the beaches on a, sun, on a sunny afternoon. How many of you believe that? But sin is the reason why we have tidal waves and we have mass destruction as a result of all of these natural disasters. God created the sun to shine in the sky, but it's sin that turned it into the scorched earth that leads to drought and leads to heat waves. Those things, according to Genesis, we'll get there in just a couple of weeks, are all the result of sin. What God made was pure. What God made was perfect. And then we broke it. And everything that's right about the world, according to common grace, is all because of a good, gracious God. Everything that's wrong about this world is my fault. It's your fault. It's the result of sin. And some people's worldviews are just not strong enough. To, hand, to handle natural disaster or disease or really significant family difficulties. And so what people do is they run from their own responsibilities and they make God responsible for something that he never did. Listen, church, God is the original cause of all things. The universe itself is in motion because God set it in motion. God is the creator of all things, which means he owns it. He decides how it's supposed to work. It's all supposed to follow his plans. But he also gave humans influence in this universe. And if we were to stop here, it would frankly not make a world of difference in 2023. So I really, really need you to lean in now. Because I need you to understand that God not only causes and God not only creates, God cares about your world personally. Not just the world in general, but your world personally and individually. You see, I want to ask you this way. When God is sitting in heaven before the beginning, what's forcing him to create? What pressure is causing God to say, you know what, I have to do this, and I don't even want to, but I'm going to create. What is the outside influence on God? Nothing. God loves, and because he loves, he's going to build the perfect environment, and then he's going to put humans in the middle of that perfect environment, and he's going to shower his love on them every day, all day long. And the way he does it is by creating what the Bible says next, the heavens and the earth. Now, when the ancient Jews heard these words, when they read them, that word heavens refers to everything that is tangible and knowable and real in the universe. Even the dark matter, even the stuff in the middle of a black hole that nobody's ever seen, all of that stuff is because God created it. When they hear the word earth, and by the way, Moses could have stopped at the heavens and that would have included everything. When he included and the earth, what they heard is the ground that I walk on right now. God did that for me. 
when I go to school tomorrow, when I go to work tomorrow, the place that I go to and the bed that I sleep in, God is the reason why all of those things exist. It's not just the big universe, but it's my world. That's what he did for me. That's how much God loves me. And now I want to place your worldview to the test. I'm going to ask you three questions that I'm convinced every person on the planet struggles with or has to answer on the deepest recesses of their heart. Most people never rationalize these questions. They never ask themselves these questions out loud, but they all deal with these questions. The first question, God, are you there? They're asking, is there a God? Yes or no. If we were following this army decision-making process, this decision flow process, from the answer to that question, everything else flows out. Is there a God? Yes or no. True or false? Second question. If you answer yes to the first question, God, are you there? Then the second question is, God, are you aware? And again, Everything flows out of the answer, yes or no, to this question. Meaning, did God create everything like a giant watchmaker who caused all of the gears and all of the springs to fit together perfectly? He wound it all up way back in the beginning, and then he set it in motion, and this is what the agnostic believes, and he walked away. And he has no idea what's going on today, because I made it all, I let it all into motion, and now... It can do whatever it wants to do, and I have no influence whatsoever. True or false? God, are you there? Yes or no? God, are you aware? Yes or no? This brings you inevitably to the third question, and frankly, this question has shipwrecked millions of people's faith. God, if you're there, and God, if you're aware... Do you care about what's going on in my world right now? A father wrote me an email this week. Never met the guy. He found me online on the internet and sent me an email. And his email, unsolicited, never heard of this guy before in my life, said, God doesn't know or is not aware of people when they die. In fact, his analogy is God is no more aware and doesn't care any more about human death than he cares about the channel that you watch on TV tonight. This father sent that to me because, look up here, he had a son that just died. And the father is wrestling with, how can he be good and my son still be dead? And he really, the father, I want to give the God credit. And by the way, I sent him a reply back and basically said, I'm so sorry about your son and I'm praying for you and for your family. But what this father is struggling with is I want God to be good, but my son is dead. So to protect God, I have to create a theology in such a way that God is no longer even aware of my son's death, let alone to care about it. And this is where worldview rubs up against reality. You see, some people this year are going to struggle with a financial disaster. 
and it's no fault of their own. The economy collapses. Watch what everybody in the world is saying. The entire world is at the edge of a recession, and this could be really, really bad, y'all, and the whole world is standing on the cliff of it. And some people are going to go through a financial disaster, and in their hearts, they're going to decide, God did this, or at least God didn't care about it, or else he would have stepped in and stopped it. Some people are going to go through a cancer diagnosis, and they're going to sit in a doctor's office, and they're going to get really, really bad news, and that news is going to fundamentally alter their faith forever. For some of them, it's going to be the death of somebody very, very close, like this father. And he's going to decide, either God isn't there, or God isn't aware, or God doesn't care. Because if he cared, this would never happen to my son. I didn't want to get, this is not the time, an internet conversation is not the place to get into a theological discussion with a bereaved father, but there's a problem with his theology, and it's found in Romans chapter 3. The wages of sin is, God didn't do that. Sin did that. God created pure and perfect and unstained, and we brought sin into the equation, and you're holding God responsible for something God didn't do. Sin did that, and my death will be my fault because of my sin, not God's fault. He didn't do it, and unfortunately, this father doesn't have a worldview that can handle disaster or disease or death. I can't tell you the amount of people that I have talked to who turned their back on the church and walked away from Jesus because something catastrophic happened in their life and their worldview wasn't strong enough to handle it. Listen to what pastor, author, theologian John Piper from Bethlehem Baptist Church says about our wimpy worldviews. He says, people who don't like Christians are all around us. And only a strange providence keeps our churches from being bombed. If you follow Piper, listen to what he's saying about the rest of the world and then the United States. He says, it's only a matter of time until the reality that the rest of the world has to live with, until it comes home to us. Meaning, many people all over the world are struggling with suffering and with persecution exclusively because of their Christian beliefs. We don't have that in the United States, and in some cases, we're not ready for that. That's what Piper is arguing here. And all the while, listen to what he says, says, all the while, we are called by Christ to go to them, to love them, to sacrifice for them, and to bring the gospel to him, and he's absolutely Brilliant in what he says next. The Great Commission is not child's play. It's costly, very costly. And then John Piper perfectly sums up what I'm trying to say in this sermon by this. Christians in the West, and I would argue in the United States, are weakened by a wimpy worldview. And Piper says, wimpy worldviews make wimpy Christians. And I want to ask you, does your worldview really line up with reality? Does it really recognize what Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 is saying? There is a God and he causes everything that you see. He created everything that you see, but he created the heavens in general 
and your earth in particular, and he cares about you so much that he wouldn't leave you hopeless and in your sin. He would send his son Jesus to come rescue you. When my neighbors sat down and shared the gospel with me, it fundamentally shattered my worldview because I was struggling with what happened before the beginning. And I wasn't prepared for that question. But I need you to hear something. It wasn't their logic that convinced me. It was their love. You see, right there at that table, I wasn't completely ready to accept everything that I was hearing for them. So I went to bed that night and I was laying in my bed and the whole conversation started to play out in my mind again. And it occurred to me, this couple only said that. I'm not even sure I believe what they're telling me, but the only reason they told me is because they believe it and because they love me. And pretty soon, it was their love for me that radically disarmed me and that made me ready to consider what they were saying. It was their love for me. It was actually Jesus loving me through them that made me get out of my bed, kneel down beside it, and pray and ask Jesus to radically change my soul because that couple was willing to come into my world and confront my worldview. And they did it not with logic, They did it with love. This is why we as a church are so passionate about the Great Commission. And we want to earn the right to tell people about King Jesus. And we believe you earn that right by loving them, by engaging them, by going to them where they're at and just trying to make a practical difference by pushing back darkness and making a practical difference. And then maybe like Lynn's group, who twice over the last year had a chance to go to Riverview Apartments and to share Jesus, and people came to faith in Christ right there on the spot because Two Cities Church had been putting two years of time and energy and love into those apartments. So when they showed up, the soil was already prepared and the heart was ready to hear of the love of Jesus. I got some challenges for us today. And then... We're going to tangibly taste the love of our Father when we go to his table and take communion with him. The first challenge on the screen, I'm flipping the order, is for God's children. It's for those of us who claim that the creator of the universe is also our Father and he deserves to set the agenda for our lives this week. He's the center of the universe, not me. Which means he gets to decide my agenda this week not me. And if you're a believer, I'm going to challenge you right where you're at, right where you're sitting to make this commitment. Holy Spirit, this week, you call the shots, not me. But maybe you were thinking about that butter dish. And maybe this second one on the screen is you. Maybe you're realizing he created everything and he's big enough that he can fix what's broken inside of me. My heart is really, really messed up. And I don't need somebody to fix my circumstances. I need somebody to fix me and my heart. So what I need is for Jesus to create a new heart inside of me right now. If that's you, then I want to pray for you right now. And I just want to ask all of us to prepare our hearts for what we're going to do next. The privilege of coming to Christ's table and taking communion at his table with him. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.